All right, so we are at the sixth letter um, that Jesus is giving to seven literal churches that had existed during the Apostle John's day. And I like to refer to them as like report cards. And so Jesus is giving report cards to these seven churches of what pleases him, what displeases him. We find out what a successful church is in the Lord's sight, in the Lord's eyes, as we work our way through um, these two chapters, two and three. And so we have found ourselves in the church of Philadelphia. What does Philadelphia mean? Brotherly shove, did I hear? (laughs) Brotherly love, right? And so this is the church that everybody, every church thinks, this is our church right here. I do too. And I pray that we would always be like this church because this church receives um, nothing but commendation, encouragement from the Lord. There's no correction in this report card, in this letter to the church. And there's some things that this morning that I know we need to be reminded of, maybe things we've forgotten, or to see Jesus in a fresh way. That's what revelation means, the revealing or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so hopefully we will all see Jesus in a fresh way. He'll speak to our hearts in a fresh way also as we work our way through. Well, let's read the letter real quick. It says in verse 7, And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so let me draw your attention to verse 7. And again, familiar beginning as normal with these letters, with these report cards. The letter is given to the angel of the church. And the angel, that word means messenger, either a heavenly messenger or an earthly messenger. I believe in this case it is an earthly messenger. The one that God has raised up, a faithful uh, leader, pastor, to communicate God's word faithfully to God's people. And so this letter was given to him to faithfully deliver to the church of Philadelphia. And this church of Philadelphia, it's interesting when you dig in a little bit about the history, these churches were not picked on accident by Jesus. 
In fact, a lot of their history, a lot of the, of the things that happen in those cities are tied in with what the Lord communicates to these churches. In fact, Philadelphia, this city was on a major highway that connected the East and the West, and the Greek culture um, had come to this city, and they wanted the Greek culture to go out to be spread um, like good news from this little city all over um, modern-day Turkey and beyond. Not only that, this city was prone to earthquakes. If you grew up in California like me, you know what earthquakes are all, they're the weirdest thing. Like you have no control whatsoever. There's no stability. It's gnarly. And so this city was prone to earthquakes. In fact, in 17 AD, in 17 AD, the city got totally wiped out, totally decimated. And a guy named Tiberius Caesar, that name ring a bell, Tiberius Caesar, he actually sent money, the funds, to rebuild the entire city. And you may be going, well, that's cool. Great history lesson, Pastor. Let's get going. But it, has, it ties in with what he's communicating, what Jesus is communicating to this church. They renamed the city uh, Neo-Caesarea, or New, uh, New Caesar is the idea. Just like we're going to talk about in just a minute, the New Jerusalem. We're going to get written on us. And so Jesus um, gives some amazing promises to the church that connect with the history and the location of this church. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, look at verse 17, right in the middle here. Um, we find out who the letter is from, and Jesus reminds us who he is and what he does. And so it's a significant reminder, three or, three or four things here that he reminds us. Number one, he is holy. Jesus is sacred. Jesus is pure. He is set apart. He is morally perfect. He has no flaws, no blemishes in his character. He is unique, distinct in who he is and in all of his ways. And so he is holy. Number two, Jesus is true. Aren't you glad that Jesus is true? He is real. He is genuine. He is dependable. He is the truth. He tells us the truth. His word is truth. Um, we can always trust in Jesus. So glorious to be reminded fully and completely because he is true. And then also it says that Jesus has the key of David. What in the world is that talking about? The key of David? What's that talking about? Remember what I told you guys last week or I reminded you guys last week, and I've, I've said it a couple of times, in the book of Revelation, there are over 550 references to the Old Testament. So in order to understand the book of Revelation, we need to have some grasp of the Old Testament scriptures. This is a reference to, if you're taking notes, Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22 is the reference. And at that time, there was a dude named King Hezekiah. He was the king at that time. And King Hezekiah put this man named Shebna in charge of the treasury, in charge of the palace. He was in charge of everything. But the dude Shebna got busted for running a scam in the palace. And God, in fact, said to him, you're going to get booted, you're going to get tossed way out of this land. That's a loose paraphrase, by the way. He says, you're out of here. You're gone, dude. And in his place would be a, name, a, a man named Eliakim, a godly man, a faithful man, a reliable man. And God gave these promises to Eliakim um, 
that he would be in charge um, of, of, of all that went on in Jerusalem, including receiving the key that would open, open the door or open the way to get to all of David's treasures. All the treasures of the kingdom were, the keys were entrusted to this man. If you have keys, what does that mean? Think about that with me. If you've got some keys, you've got some power, don't you? <laughs> got some authority? Yes or no? Access? Yes. You can keep people out. You can bring people in. And so what is Jesus saying here? Jesus refers to this passage and he applies it to himself. In fact, he's got the key to the kingdom. He opens up the kingdom. He opens up men and women's hearts to him to come into the kingdom. He's the one. Can we change a heart, by the way? Can you change a heart? No way, Jose. Only the Lord can open up that heart. But also, here's the deal with the, with the keys. It says in the next part of the verse, look at the end of the verse, Jesus alone has the power and the authority to open and close doors, and no one can reverse what he's done. I love that. You know what that means? Jesus is in control. And when things seem to be out of control around us, you, you, you turn on the news, you, you, what people are saying, what people are communicating... We, I think some of us maybe need to be reminded this morning that Jesus is fully in control. He is not panicking. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is waiting to come get us, his church. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get to that in just a moment. So Jesus commends the church and exhorts the church. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, number one, I know your works. Jesus knows all about their labor, their busyness, all the things they're doing for him, for the kingdom, to see the furtherance of the kingdom. Do you know that the Lord knows all your works this morning? All that you do for him. Isn't that good to know? Because some of us labor in the shade and nobody sees us. People in children's ministry, they're just slinging diapers and no one ever, no one ever says thank you. Just here, here's Junior. See you later. Give me my tag. But can I just tell you, the Lord sees, he knows. And ultimately, listen, he's the one we're doing it for. For the amen of the Holy Spirit. And then one day to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant from his lips. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so ultimately, he's the one we want to please. He's the one we honor. And Jesus says, Look, listen, I am fully aware of everything going on in the church. I am fully aware of everything going on in your lives. And then he says, this is awesome. See, or some Bibles say, behold, check it out. Look, I have set before you an open door. Don't you guys like open doors? Like you step at the supermarket and... (laughs) Isn't that awesome how it does that? Is that what it sounds like to you? (laughs) That's what the Lord's saying here. He's saying, listen, for you, church... I am opening a door for you. This is so glorious. In fact, he's saying, look, are you paying attention? See, look at this. Look what I've I've opened up for you. Remember in John chapter 4, a little cross-reference. You can check it out later. John chapter 4, Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at the... At where? 7-Eleven? Where where did he meet her? At where? At the well. You guys remember that? And he offers her living water, right? Does the whole thing with her husbands and deals with the sin issue very tenderly in her life. She's trying to fill her heart, her life with, with everything under the sun, with relationships and, and immorality. And Jesus offers her living water. 
Only he can satisfy her, just like only the Lord can satisfy us as well. And then she recognizes he's the Messiah. There's a surrender to him. She goes back into the city, right? And then all of a sudden, here come the 12 disciples. I just kind of imagine them bumbling along. Here they come cruising. I, I know I'm going to get it when I get to heaven. <laughs> Some of the stuff I say about Peter and the rest of the gang. But here they come. They're cruising out and they come to Jesus and they're like, man, you ready to eat? And what does Jesus say? I have food that you have no idea about. And they're like, wait a minute, did someone bring him like hummus and falafel? And And what did he say? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then he says something amazing. And you got a picture it there. Here's all the guys. They've got their food, right? They just came. They just came from buying food, right? Correct. H-E-B, Heb, the Hebrew market. They came from there. <laughs> They're there. They're, they, they're, they're, I picture them sitting around Jesus with their food right there. And all of a sudden, Jesus says what? Look up. Go back and look at yourself. Look up. The fields are white for harvest. Why does he have to say look up? Because they're, sto- they're, st- they're stone cold munching, bro, right? They're eating. And Jesus says, look up. Behold, the fields are white for harvest. Here's the open door right here. Because that woman went where? Back to the city to tell all the people about Jesus, and here they come. They come cruising out. These very, and it's almost as if the Lord is saying, you need to get rid of your racism, your prejudice, right? Because didn't they have a race issue going on there, gang, right? You need to drop that. God wants to rescue these people, save these people. And here's the open door. And he's saying the same thing to Philly, the Church of Philadelphia. Here's the open door for you. And then he gives three reasons why. Look what it says to me. Check it out. He says, I set, I've set before you an open door, this amazing opportunity for ministry and service. This door is unable to be closed. Only Jesus can open and close doors. By the way, you can either choose to go or not go through the door, by the way. It's up to you. But why this church? Jesus says, number one, for you have, and there's three halves, you have a little strength. This was not some big mega church, some big powerhouse church. They had a small amount of strength, very little ability, very little resources. But isn't that what the Lord does in our lives? He takes what we have, right? He takes the resources that we are willing to put into his hands, our lives, whatever it is he's blessed us with, we put it into his hands. And what happens? He's able to multiply. He's able to do the miraculous. Are you with me? Five loaves and two fish in the hands of the Lord is a great big dish. One little boy gave away his lunch and Jesus let 5,000 munch, right? But, and here's the deal. Whatever it is you got, it's not much. This is what we got, a little strength. I don't, have a whole lot of, I don't have a whole lot of stuff, but here's what I do. Here's what I do know. You put it in the Lord's hands. You give it to him. Because I'm bringing this up because I hear from a lot of people that say, I don't have the ability. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the education. I don't got what it takes. You don't know where I've been. I don't got no degree. That's how you say it. I ain't got no degree. Me neither, man. 
And the Lord delights in using the foolish things, the base things, the weak things, the small things, the things of little strength. Why? That we would give him all the glory. We would recognize it's his work in and through our lives, in and through our church. And he gets magnified. He's the one who gets glorified. And so in God's hands, listen, Jesus commends the church for a liability here. I love that. In God's hands, that's a plus. And God, doesn't God demonstrate his strength in our weakness? Paul prayed 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Thorn in the flesh. Lord, take this from me. Take this from me. Lord, take this from me. God, please. And what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And what did Paul say? I'll boast in my weaknesses. I'll boast in that I don't got what it takes. I don't have what I need. Why? Because Jesus is sufficient. It's awesome. And so they, were, they weren't blowing everyone away as a mega church. They were not the most famous of the seven churches. They weren't trying to be. Do you know that? They weren't trying to be a famous church or a mega church. Jesus, please listen, Jesus was satisfied with who they were. And you know what else? They were satisfied with who they were. Why am I saying that? Because some of us, don't we do things physically to when we're not content with our stature? No amens. Some, some of us vertically challenged, we get some higher shoes, right? Get, get, get us up in the atmosphere a little bit. Platform, yeah, platform shoes. Not content with our stature, we do different stuff, right? I'm seeing some blanks. You know what I'm talking about. But like, this church was content with their stature. This is who we are. We're not trying to be something we're not. And so they're trusting in the Lord, the Lord's resources, the Lord's sufficiency, the Lord's wisdom. They discovered the the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered to be my witnesses. And so, beautiful. And then number two, look what it says. What did Jesus say about this church? This church made the Bible, God's word, a priority. You've kept my word. They relied upon the word of God. Aren't you grateful that God has given us his word? I'm so grateful. Listen, I am eternally grateful. I ended up dropped into Calvary Chapel where my pastor was teaching the word verse by verse. I knew, man, I knew I was home. When I got to Calvary Temple, I knew I was home. It was like living water hitting me because I had never been taught the scriptures, simply teaching the scriptures simply and hearing the word of God washing over me going, whoa, this is awesome. I've learned more in one month than I can't tell you in how long. Thank you, Lord. And so this is a church that was about the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. His word has the DNA to change our lives, to save your life and to change your life. His word works effectively in those who believe. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path or the other way around. Listen, I cannot stress how important, how crucial, how necessary God's word is in our lives. How important. It's what matters, the word of God. God, I mean, God Almighty speaking to us through his word. That's a a miracle. 
How about the miracle of every one of us sitting here this morning and God speaking to you differently than someone across the room? Why? Because he loves you. And it's intimacy that he desires to have with you, to help you, to work in your life, to change you, to transform you, to help you out. It's so glorious. Listen, this is a church that pleases Jesus we're reading about. This is a church that is successful in his eyes. And we learn once again what blesses him, what pleases him. And what is it? It's keeping the word of God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, didn't he? Keep means to do. Keep means to preserve. Keep means to value. Do you guys value the word of God this morning? It should be the most important influence in our lives, y'all. The word of God. And so they were committed to the truth. And so the Lord says, I know, I know you got a little strength. You're keeping my word. And notice the third thing he says. What's the third thing he mentions? You have not denied my name. They stood for Jesus. They boldly lived for Jesus, unashamedly. And isn't that beautiful? We bear the name of Jesus wherever we, as Christians, do you know that this morning? We get to bear, what a privilege, what an honor to bear his holy, pure name everywhere we go, his genuine, real name. It's a privilege to be connected with him. And his name speaks of all he is, his character, his nature. And, and there are people that we run into from time to time that have denied his name. Oh, they started out good, but somewhere along the way, maybe they began to question the word of God. Have you ever heard someone start to question the word of God and then start to question God? When things get difficult, when things heat up, are you with me? Je Listen, Jesus told us right up front, the broad way, many go on the broad way that leads to destruction. But if we're going to go his way, it's narrow. It's a narrow path that leads to everlasting life. Very few find it. And he told us straight up, no hidden writing in, in the small writing. He said it's difficult. He said it's going to be tough. Are you with me? He didn't say, oh, it's, it's going to be rosy, you know, and we're all going to hold hands and sing kumbaya. That's heaven. I won't be singing kumbaya. I'll be saying, holy is the lamb. But it's difficult. It's hard. Listen, it's hard. Bearing his name. But here's the cool thing. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll give you everything you need to be successful in what he's called you to do by his spirit, by his grace. As you look to him, you look to his resources. Listen, um, people, don't, people deny the Lord's name when they allow the thief of unbelief to rip them off. And not only that, remember Peter? Didn't Peter deny the Lord's name? You guys remember that? Cock-a-doodle-doo. You guys remember that story? <laughs> Why did Peter deny him? Self-preservation. I'm going to preserve my life. Jesus said, you keep your life. You seek to save your life. You're going to lose your life. But you lose your life for my sake. You're going to gain your life eternally. And so, man, we don't want to be those that deny his name. And if you focus on something else other than Jesus and his word, you know what happens? Doors start to close in your life. Doors closed for you, for the church. It's about Jesus, by the way. It's about his name. It's his church. He is the focus. It is so easy to get distracted from Jesus, isn't it? Even while we're studying Revelation, it's easy to get distracted with all the current events and stuff going on. And you know what happens? It's no longer about Jesus any longer. 
When our, the whole Bible is about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. It's all about him. And so it's about Jesus. And so, man, we may, this church, Calvary Chapel, West Houston, may not be the strongest church, may not be the most famous church. We may not get the most likes, likes, hits on the internet. Is that what that's called? Like, but you know what? Um, I'm okay with just pleasing Jesus and doing it his way. I don't want to get sidetracked and miss the open doors by doing something else other than going through his word together and seeking him, seeking his face, and watching him build his church, build our lives, and open doors, and do awesome stuff for his glory. And so... When the Bible speaks of open doors, by the way, when you hear open doors, we say that sometimes, don't we? Hey, the Lord opened the door for me um, to get this parking spot. Or, the Lord opened the door for me to get this new job. And I understand what you're saying. Hallelujah. Yeah. But primarily, when we read of open doors in the scriptures, it's always in relation to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Lord wants to do with our lives, doesn't he? Rescued people. Are you guys been rescued? Rescued people rescue people. Correct? And I know some people say to me, Pastor, we're not all called to be evangelists, boy. And I'll say, hallelujah, you're absolutely right, but we're all called to evangelize. Isn't that the Great Commission? Something about preaching the gospel to all nations? Correct? And so we're all called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and again, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's what he did, his work on our behalf. And so, awesome. The open door. If we're a church like Philadelphia, Jesus says he's going to open doors of service and ministry and nobody can shut them. That's good news this morning. Look at what else Jesus is going to do. Verse 9, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. That's certainly a church you don't want to be a member at. Jesus says, I'm going to make those of the, of the devil's church, and then he qualifies what he's saying here, those who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. So what does Jesus say? I'm going to deal with the devil's church. Those who claim to be God's people, but they're liars. They're not God's people. They are liars. I believe this is speaking of the people that are Abraham's descendants physically, but not Abraham's descendants spiritually. How do you know that, Pastor? I'm going to Flip over there, John chapter 8. Okay, John chapter 8, what Jesus said. John chapter 8, religious Jew, the religious Jews of his day were tripping out on what he was saying. Is that a little amen right there? Yeah. What are you talking about? Son makes you free, you're in free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, 
a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. So Jesus was speaking to these religious Jews and said, Oh yeah, you're Abraham's children. If you were, Abraham, if you were really Abraham's descendants, then you wouldn't be trying to kill me. You'd be listening to what I'm saying. And so now back to Revelation I believe these were people from a synagogue. They were most likely, these religious people, were trying to, they were bringing persecution upon the church. And Jesus says, I'm going to handle it. And he does handle it. In fact, he said that he's going to bring these religious people to a place of humble worship and adoration. And they will recognize the love of Jesus for his church. They were... This is my opinion. I don't th- they're probably not worshiping the church, but bowing their knee to the Lord. I believe what happened is, what happened is, I think the church's loving response to these hostile religious Jews touched their hearts. That's what I think happened. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever had ho- people that are hostile in your life? You guys ever have anybody hostile in your life? I shared first service. I was playing uh, baseball with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and there was only two Christians on the team, myself and another dude. And we got, <laughs> we got hassled and harassed, 162 games. There was no let up, no breather, no break. Like, it was brutal. But here's the cool thing is, by the grace of God, we, I believe we gave a decent testimony because the, the people that were persecuting us, a couple of them, when they went through difficult circumstances, they came, not out in the open, they came and wanted to get prayer. They wanted to find out what God's word says. And so, listen, I think what happened here is that their response to this persecution touched their hearts. These religious Jews, they ended up surrendering to Jesus Christ. In fact, Our walk with Jesus, listen this morning, our walk with Jesus is to be something that provokes the Jews to jealousy. Romans chapter 11, you guys remember Romans chapter 11? You guys remember Romans chapter 11? Let me use another baseball illustration. Sometimes when a player is not doing well, you get benched and they put someone else in. Why? To light a fire underneath you. Right? Some of you are like, oh, really? That's what they do? Yeah. I've been there. And, and so that guy, the, the person that gets benched gets jealous and wants back in and, and can't wait to get back in. That's what God did to the Hebrew nation. He benched them. They're on pause right now. And who gets, to, who gets to be in the game? Those of, those of us who are Gentiles, right? We are now part of God's kingdom. We should be eternally grateful to the Jews. Paul reminds us in those chapters 9, 10, and 11. Because of their fall, because they're on the bench, the Gentiles get grafted into God's tree, into God's family. It's, I like to call it jealousy evangelism. 
And it's to provoke the Jews to salvation. To provoke them to say, wow, I want what you guys have. You Christians, man, God's blessing is upon your life. Would people look at your life and say, what are you tapped into? I want what you have. There's something different about your life, about your marriage, about your kids, about the way you handle situations. What is it? I want to know. With the Jews, that should be happening with the church. We should be causing them to say, wow. In fact, I, I prayed about sharing this. Um, there was a pastor who was quoting these Jewish rabbis and, uh, and it happened on two separate occasions. This pastor met with a group of knowledgeable and like nationally known rabbis, once in Los Angeles and once here in Houston. And, and just listen to what these rabbis said. I mean, it's like eye-opening. And this rabbi said, you pre-millennial evangelicals, that would be our church, by the way. We believe in the millennium, the millennium reign, millennial reign of Jesus Christ, right? That Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years after the seven-year period of the tribulation, but we're going to be raptured before the seven-year period of tribulation. We'll see that in a minute. And so he says, you premillennial evangelicals are the only ones among the Christians that we can really talk to because you believe there is a future for Israel, That enables us to communicate with you, but these others have written us off, and we have nothing much in common with them. You know, there's whole groups, segments of the church today that have said, the church has replaced Israel, God's done with Israel, there's no millennium, the, the book of Revelation is just, it's just, it's not literal, and guess what? You're a fool. How can you say that, pastor? Paul said it, I didn't have to say it. He said, don't be ignorant concerning God's dealings with the Jews. And that's what you are. If you've, if you've taken Israel out of the equation and written them off, you're a fool, man. You're a fool. You need to repent. And so our walk with Jesus is to be something that provokes the Jews to jealousy. It should provoke other should, Aren't we to be salt and light? What does salt do? Adds flavor, tastes good, preserves, does it create thirst? You go to the movie theater, you get that big old tub, pot, right? And then the water fountain's not working. And, they, and they, they get you, right? They get you with the $15 Coke, right? It produces thirst. Our life, that's what Jesus is saying. You are the salt of the earth. You're to be creating a thirst. Flavor, preservative. It also heals, doesn't it? Healing property too. Go in the salt water. Not in Galveston, be careful. <laughs> Some other oceans. Let's get back. Verse 10, sorry. Come on. Because this is, listen, this is an exceedingly great and precious promise. Another one that Jesus gives. Probably, listen, probably the clearest promise in God's word concerning the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church before the seven-year period known as the tribulation. Let's look at this verse again. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial 
which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. That's an amazing promise this morning. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise of Jesus coming for us to take us to the Father's house. This verse communicates he's going to do it before the tribulation even happens. Tribulation, the hour of trial. In fact, Jesus says, I'm going to keep, if you've kept my command to persevere, not my suggestion, patient endurance, you hung in there, you didn't quit. Jesus promises, and it's interesting, to keep. That word means to keep out of and away from completely and unto himself. It's kind of like this. Is there a lot of pollen right now? You guys notice, anybody notice that? Anybody got allergies here? Anybody's car have yellow stuff all over it? My kid, yeah, I see some hands going up. Yeah, hallelujah, get out of here. <laughs> if I wanted to keep my kids from getting pollen all over them, if I wanted to keep my wife from getting the pollen all over her, to keep her away, to keep her out of that, I would take them and bring them into the house. That would keep them out and away from the pollen. Are you with me? Not, here's a gas mask. Hope you get through it, babies. Get, get one of those N90, what are they? N something? Yeah. I used one for like months. Pray for me. I'm still doing okay, I think. Jesus promises to keep his bride, the church, out of and away from or from out of this certain time of affliction, adversity, trouble, literally means painful piercing. Seven years of tribulation, Daniel chapter 9 tells us. Chapter 6 through 19 in Revelation, the church is no longer mentioned. Why? Because we're going to see in a couple weeks, we're going to be in the Father's house, we're going to be in heaven. Enjoying the place that the Lord has prepared for you and for me. And then we come back with him at his second coming to set up his kingdom on this earth. And so God's wrath will be poured out on this earth during that time. And notice what it says. Jesus promises to keep those believers from the very hour, not during it, but from it. That requires a removal before the tribulation starts. And it says the trial... It's going to come upon who? The whole world. It's global. To test, what's the reason? To test those who dwell on the earth. We're going to see that phrase used during the tribulation period. Earth dwellers. Those that have made earth their home. Materialistically minded. They live for this world. The things of this world. They live for, like Jesus said, what you're going to put in and what you're going to put on. It's all, that's all that life's about. And the time of testing will reveal that. And what's interesting is there's three reasons for the tribulation. One, God's going to deal with Israel. Second, there's going to be a lot of people that the tribulation will break them, the heaviness. That's what it was needed in my life. I needed to be broken to surrender. 
People will be broken. They'll surrender to Jesus. But also, God's going to fumigate planet Earth. He's going to remove wickedness and wicked ones totally and completely. And so... Jesus says, the time of tribulation is not for you. It's not for those who persevere in keeping my word and honoring my name. So if Jesus is going to keep his bride, his church, from and away from this hour of trial, how's he going to do it? Look at the next verse. Behold, check it out. I am coming quickly, suddenly, without warning. That's what quickly means. In light of that, what's the exhortation? What should we do? Hold fast, cling tightly to, put a death grip on what you have. What did the church have? What do you have this morning? Number one, you got Jesus. Amen. Number two, you got his word. All the exceedingly great and precious promises are given to you and given to me, including the catching away of the bride to the Father's house. Why is it important to hold fast what we have? Why is it important to hold fast what we have? Look at the next part of the verse. Answers right in the text that no one may take your crown. So you don't get your crown ripped off. Right? Pretty simple. According to Jesus, let go of what you have and your crown's going to go bye-bye. And I think he's speaking of rewards here. 2 Timothy, if you're taking notes, chapter 4, verse 8. Paul reminds us that there is a crown of righteousness for those who are looking forward to the coming of our Lord. Special crown. So we don't want to lose our crowns, do we? Don't want no, it says, don't let no one, that no one may take your crown. Don't let anyone rip you off. And then Jesus gives some more amazing promises. Verse 12, I can't believe it, we're done. The overcomer, the victorious one, Jesus promises what? Verse 12, he promises to make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. So Jesus promises to establish the overcomer in a special way in God's house. And a pillar speaks of strength. A pillar speaks of stability. It speaks of permanence. Often when you see, you guys ever look at like ancient pictures and what's left over? There's a lot of pillars, aren't there? And so the listeners, so remember our city here, kind of like Cali. Lots of what? Earthquakes. For these listeners, they'd be like, oh, awesome. They would never have to run away from city again. Their city would never be destructed again. Why? Because Jesus promises a place of security and strength and permanence where? In the Father's house. Is that amenable stuff? Maybe this, maybe this will be amenable stuff. We're going to get some heavenly tattoos. Look, look what it says. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, not New Caesarea, the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. We'll see that in Revelation 20 and 21. And I will write on him my new name. Pastor, what do you think about tattoos? I love them. Show me some. I don't have any yet. I'm waiting. I can't wait because these will not sag. There's going to be no. <laughs> so Sorry. Perfect. Isn't that interesting, though, that he's going to write that on us? What is that speaking of? 
Parents, you guys ever write your kids' names on their stuff? Their jacket? Some of you are going, yeah, I do. I see the lost and found all the time, no names on those things. <laughs> Especially Bibles, because I look at Bibles all the time. I wonder whose Bible this is. It's been here for like four months. No name. It's a nice, it would fit nice in my library. It's, no. <laughs> but you write, you write your name on your kid's stuff, and it speaks of what? Ownership? Ownership. Who it belongs to? To me, this is amazing. The Lord's saying, you're mine. I am my beloved's and he is mine. It's glorious that he would do that. And then it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May we have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying in all of these churches that we would make the adjustments necessary if needed but to see Jesus in a new way and to rejoice that we belong to him. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.